First Peter chapter 2 and the verse 13. And if you just hold there now the scriptures, we'll be coming to these verses shortly that God has laid upon my heart this morning and I trust will minister to us. You're at First Peter chapter 2 and you have your Bible open around the verse 13. God will honor his word to us, I'm sure, this morning. One of the greatest and the most dangerous and loathsome sins of our old fallen nature is the sin of pride. Pride. It's so subtle and so devious that we can have it and saturated with it and not know it. And it's so subtle and so devious that others may not even know you have it. Pride. It's such a cardinal reprehensible sin in the eyes of God that it tops the chart of all other sins. Proverbs 6 tells us there are seven sins that God hates and pride is the first one. A proud look. Pride and arrogancy God says, do I hate? Take a concordance sometime and trace all the sins that God says that he hates. Now he hates all sin because he's a pure eyes and to behold iniquity. But there are specific sins that he highlights that he hates. Everything that God hates, the devil loves. And everything that the devil loves, God hates. Now we're told in Proverbs that he hates a lying tongue. He hates lying. Then we're told that he hates killing those that shed innocent blood. Then he tells us that he hates gossiping, backbiting, accusing, murmuring. I hope none of you were guilty of it in the past week. Then he goes on to other sins. And one of the ones he says, another one he says he hates is divorcing. He says, I hate it. Malachi. The government may legalize it. Couples may see nothing wrong with it. Ministers may marry. But God says that he hates it. And on Tuesday, when I'm joining this couple together, 
I will be emphasizing the fact that what God puts together, let not man put asunder. Because it's tearing bone from bone, and it's painful, and it's expensive, and it's awful. The sins that God hates, the devil loves. The devil not only loves them, but he practices them and performs them. They're in his very DNA. They're his attributes, his trait. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus said he was the father of lies and the grandfather and the great-grandfather of all lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the destroyer of marriages. He's the very author and epitome of pride. His number one weapon is pride. Ezekiel 14, he said, Satan said, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will be like the Most High. This was the weapon that he used against Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Partake, he says, of the tree of good and evil and you'll be lifted up to heaven and you'll be like God. See, the devil lifts up. But we're going to show you this morning that the Lord brings down. And he scored a mighty blow with the human race through pride. Through pride. God's way is down and the devil's way is up. You hear this this morning now from my heart. It destroys the whole working of the cross. Pride. It destroys all the teachings of our Lord Jesus. And we very, uh, very seldom examine it in the lives of God's people. And I'm doing that this morning. For God has spoken to me. Simeon said about the Lord Jesus Christ, this child... This child is for the falling and the rising again of many. The falling come first. And the rising comes after. And it's the same as you'll see that as I go on this morning. The devil's way is up. And God's way is down. But it changes. Can I just say a wee word to those who are listening to me this morning that are not saved? Now just sit tight, wherever you might be. This is the weapon that God's using to damn your soul. This weapon is the greatest weapon that the devil has to damn souls. Matthew 18, Jesus calls the children and he lifted them in his arms and he set one in the midst and says, Except ye be 
converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Pride will keep you out of heaven. Then he says, whosoever shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Pride will keep you, sir, out of heaven. Proud, too proud to fill up your hand. Too proud to let the Lord into your life. Too proud. Well, it'll take you down to hell. Job 22 and verse 29 says, He shall save the humble. Psalm 69, the psalm of the cross in verse 32 says, He says, The humble shall see it and be glad. So humble yourselves under the hand of mighty hand of God this morning, sinner. Come down from the tree like a sake, Zacchaeus, to the feet of Christ this morning. Humble yourself. Don't be afraid of what men think or what men say. You're, you have a soul that needs to be saved this morning. You need to fall at the feet of him who died for you. So unless there's a humbling and there's a submitting and there's a subjecting to the gospel and the way of the cross... There was no hope. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself even unto death, even the death of the cross. And you have to come low to the Savior's feet if you're going to be saved. God said to Pharaoh, how long will it be till you humble yourself? And I asked that question to some of you this morning and some of our, you people of God this morning. How long will it be? Until you humble yourself from this old stinking pride. How long? Well, mind you, it's the right while. And God has spoken to you about it and you've done nothing about it. How long will it be? We're on a collision course with God, for He resisteth the proud. He fights against the proud and he giveth grace to the humble. Now I can hear somebody say, I'm not a proud man. Well, if, I, if you say that to me, then that is a perfect, perfect answer. Because if you say you have no pride, you're a proud man or a proud woman. Because none of us have anything to be proud about here this morning. Sinner! There's no saving without it. And there's no restoring without it, backslider. There's no way back but to his feet. There's no way back but in repentance and abasing ourselves at his feet and crying for forgiveness. Job could say, I abhor myself in dust and ashes. Boy, when we get there, when we get there, and we get there, when we say like the prodigal, I will arise and come to my father. And we get there. When we get like Mephibosheth, who was a prince, a prince, and came to David's table and says, I'm a dead dog. I tell you, from a prince to a dead dog. 
That's humility. That's humility. There'll be no saving without it. There'll be no restoring without it. And there'll be no reviving without it. And we can pray all we like for revival. Isaiah 57 says, A humble and a contrite spirit, I will revive. A broken spirit. Brokenness. Brokenness. Everything's broken today with the heart of God's people. With more broken homes. With more broken marriages. With more broken lives. Everything's broken. But the heart of God's people. And I don't know what it's going to take to break us. Because mind you, if we don't humble ourselves, he will. And if he does, it's a serious business. It's a serious business when God humbles us. That's why he says, humble yourself. A contrite heart and a broken spirit He says, I will revive. And then we have the classic one that we're so fond of using, but don't understand it and don't practice it. We wail it out at prayer meetings. My people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Oh, we can pray all we like. We can sing all we like. But it's an individual thing that has to speak to our own hearts. And we must get down before God and say, Lord, show me. Because others will not show it to you. Show me, Lord, my pride. Whatever that pride may be. Now, it's not only required in saving, and it's not only required in restoring, and it's not only required in reviving, It's required in the blessing, in blessing for the Christian life. God will not, God will not bless a proud and arrogant and haughty people. If he would, he'd have to apologize to his son. He would have to apologize for the very cross. He would have to say to his son, you should never have come. You should never have been stripped. You should never have been mocked. You should never have been spat on. You should never have hung between the thieves. He would have to apologize for the cross. For the epitome of The epitome of pride is shown in the cross. He that was rich, yet for our sakes, became poor, that through his poverty we might be made rich. Ten times in three chapters in First Peter, He uses the word that all means the same thing and they're opposite 
to pride, arrogance, and haughtiness. And here I'm going to give them to you, and then I'm going to show you something. Let me say that again. Ten times in three chapters, in First Peter 1, he uses words that all mean the same thing. That's opposite to pride, arrogance, haughtiness. Here they are, submission, subjection, humiliation. You'll find them ten times in three chapters. Now, Peter wasn't always submissive. And Peter wasn't always subjective. And Peter wasn't always humble. But he's an old man now, and he's, in the next book, the next letter, he's, going to die. He tells us he's putting off the old tabernacle. So he's an old man. And he has learned a lot. He's learned a lot. There's things we need to learn, you know. Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. You can learn contentment. And a lot of us would need to learn it. Peter learned, oh, he learns something about humility. Aye, he did. He did. Now look at verse 13 that I asked you to open up. Get your eyes on 13 because we're going to look at the word here now. And the word must speak to us now. Submit. Subject, humble yourselves, you can use either of those words, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And if you have a good Bible, you'll have the Lord in capital letters. Whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well, for so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now here are saints who Peter are telling that they need to be subject and submitted to the state, to the authorities that be. Before the powers that rule, Ordinance of man, it says, and governors. Now let me say that it wasn't easy for these people, these slaves. For they were in fierce persecution under Rome. It wasn't easy for them to submit to evil leaders. But why have they to do it? For the Lord's sake, in verse 13. Now notice that. For the Lord's sake. And for the will of the Lord, in verse 15. That's what he says. And whether it's kings or governors or prime ministers or cabinets or government officials or MPs or MLAs, we have to honor the laws of the land. 
It doesn't say we're to worship leaders. It doesn't say that we're to agree with leaders. It doesn't say that we even like leaders. And it doesn't even say that we want the leaders. But we must honor them because of their position. As long. No, how we need to hammer that out. And it should have been hammered out away last March. As long as they don't interfere with the church of God. As long as they don't interfere with the prayer meetings and the open air meetings. What's happening today? And then we must stand and stand we did here and stand we will do again. And I say to you this morning and some of the Protestant unions will get this hard to swallow this morning. In May come, if May, when May comes, if Mrs. O'Neill is the first minister, you'll have to bow to her. Whether you like it or not, you'll have to bow in honor to the position that she holds. That'll straighten some of us now. That'll take some of the old stinking Protestant pride out of us. And maybe it'll be God's way of breaking us. And sending us to prayer. I tell you, my friend, God has ways of humbling us. Anyway, that'd be as good as us in. I'm not going into politics this morning, but I don't see any difference in them. And it's nothing to do with me, for I'm not interested in politics and who's in and who's not in. I'm interested in God and the church of God, and I'm interested for standing for truth. As long as they don't tinker, as they did last March, and we all were gullible and fell to it. Submission to the saints of Submission of the saints of God to the state. Pay your taxes and keep the speed and do what they tell us to do until they start to bar the churches and tell us how many can come in and what you have to put on and what you can put off and when you can pray and what you can't pray. We need to waken up. Look at verse 18. Then he moves from the the submission to the saints uh, in the world to the servants of God in the workplace. Verse 18. Servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward, forward, for this is thankworthy of a man for conscience sake towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. These slaves were beaten. They were shackled. They were working 21 and 2 hours a day. They were whipped to death. And Paul says, in, and Peter says in verse 19, they're, they're to, they were to endure it. And verse 20, that they were to do it patiently. And there's some of you this morning, and I know that there's some of you this morning in factories. And I know that there's some of you in, in, in colleges and universities this morning and in offices this morning. And you're getting it tight. I know that. I hear that. And it's not an easy hour to be in the workplace. And there's masters out there, my friend, and they don't like you. But you've got to do your work as unto the Lord. You're not doing it as unto them. You're to do your work faithfully, 
Clock your card at the right time and clock out at the right time. Do it faithfully for God. You're not doing it for men. Let them say what they like. These examples for all this is in the Savior, and I'm not going into these verses this morning, in verse 21. It says, Who did no sin, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he, he threatened not. And then it says this in verse 21, look at this, that ye should follow his steps. Follow his steps. We sing following Jesus every day by day. Where he leads me, I will follow. My friend, if we're going to follow Christ, we'll have to follow him in these verses. And that is to the cross. And not only to the cross, but on to the cross. And die, die, die. Put an end to all our pride. When you come to Calvary and see him hanging naked there, when you see the one that created sustains and upholds all things by the word of his power. When you see the one who numbered the stars and holds the wind in his fist and giveth unto the sea his decree and has blocked the oceans with the sand, how can we but humble ourselves at his feet in sackcloth and ashes and weep and cry for our sins? You follow him. It'll not be up, it'll be down, first of all. Follow him down. And come to the cross and get on the cross and say, Lord, forgive me. And confess our haughtiness and our envy and our pride and our jealousy and our bitterness and the old bitter spirit that we have. Needs to be washed and cleansed from us. If we're going to see revival. But then it's not only the saints in the world and the servants in the workplace and the Savior on the cross. Here we are now, ladies, the sisters in the home, chapter 3 and verse 1. Oh, ho. There's submission, subjection, humiliation. If you want to class that word with the rest of them. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. It doesn't say partners. It doesn't say wives be subjective to wives and husbands be subjective to husbands. We're here in this today. God help us. Now we're told that you're born with it. It says here, your own husband, your own. Your own husband. Now this is the saved wife with an unsaved husband. That's what this passage is here about. And I am sure that this appeals to a lot today. 
This is a saved wife with an unsaved husband. Peter's saying here, if any of an unsaved husband who obey not the gospel, the word of the gospel, he's saying here, that if obey not the word of the gospel, without the word, they may be won by the conversation of the wife. That word conversation is a great word. It's the word testimony. It's the word life. It's the word example. It's not just what comes out of her mouth, although that is important, because we can do a lot of damage by what comes out of our mouth. Now, you have an unsaved husband and you're a Christian. Peter's telling us here you have to submit to the head as far as you can of the home, and that's different teachings. There has to be submission. As far as you can. Now, there's things you don't submit to. But you have to have submission. You have to have a, your conversation, your life. And it goes on to say, which we haven't time to deal with this morning, dress, how you live, how you dress, how you look. There's all to do with it. And when he sees that saved, set-apart wife, and I'm taking that they, that they both were unsaved when they got married because unequally yoked is not scriptural. Do you hear that this morning? It's not scriptural. And it'll bring disaster. I'm glad these couple on Tuesday are proved themselves to be saved and children of God. Glad of that. And I wouldn't be marrying them otherwise. Unless they were both not saved. No, you don't bring together an unequal yoke. So I'm taking that since this woman has got saved and he is not saved and he'll not obey the gospel. He has already heard it. He's not going to be won by the word. He's not going to obey in the word. He'll be won by the word because he can't be saved without the word, but he'll not obey the word. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved, sir, you're not saved and your wife's saved, you'll not obey the word. That's what's wrong with you. You know it inside out and you'll not obey it. I was preaching like that over an admission that I had in in Banbridge Baptist in 2011. And there was a, a man in the meeting and he was an elder. And he was in the meeting for, I think it was 35 or 40 years, and he was an elder most of those years, and his wife wasn't saved. She came to every, she came to every meeting with him. She came to the gospel meetings. She came to the morning meeting. She went out when the table was on. One night in the mission, God stood an hour into her heart. And cried unto God, I tell you, that man rejoiced. Because the Lord has to do it. For we heard the other night from this pulpit, what shall the end be if you obey not? This boy will not obey it. So he's not obeying the word, but he's watching her. He's watching her. And he doesn't want to see her dressed like the world. And I would say to you young mothers with teenage children and young children, don't dress like the world. Who are you trying to attract? 
But as I see at times, there's no difference. Don't try to dress like the world and live like the world. And this fellow not want to see her watching soaps at night. And he'll not want to hear her criticizing. He'll want to see her reading his Bible and going to the meetings and praying for him. He'll want to see it. And he'll be one that way. He'll not be one any other way. He'll not be one by shoving gospel tracts into the toilet. He'll not be, be won by barrage. It says here, in a quiet and meek spirit. In love, you'll win him for Christ. Or the other way about. So if the cap fits, just wear the meek and quiet spirit. Praying, reading, witnessing, enduring. Loving, help, it'll win them. Oh, what damage, what damage we have done. Never Pat and I got saved first. First, our mother used to give us wee things home with us. Buns and cakes and, and in, the, in, the, in the bottom of the tin would be a wee novena. We statue. And whenever we were leaving it back, we were to put the track in. Didn't work. Didn't work. Worked in other ways. Oh, how we need to be wise. How we need to be wise. Once more, turn with me to... First Peter 5, as we come down to a close. What you're seeing here is submission and subjection of the saints in the world, the servants in the workplace, the saviour in the cross, the sisters in the home. And now we have the shepherds in the flock. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Take your time. Feed on the word this morning. Just let the word feed you this morning. All I have to do is open it. You just let the word feed. Let the Holy Spirit feed you this morning. The elders which are among you, I exhort. Let me stop a wee minute here. The elders need to be among the flock. Not running the country preaching. Not keeping others' vineyards where their own vineyard lies waste. The shepherd needs to be among the flock of God's people. Not booming or zooming or crooning from some room where they can't even see them. How can you tend to the sick sheep? How can you tend to the diseased and the lame sheep of the flock? How can you do it? 
if you're not among them. You need to be among them. Now watch this very carefully. Peter says here, who am also an elder. Now the Church of Rome tells us that Peter was the first pope. And that he was the first pope in Rome. Well, let me tell you, you'll never read anywhere where Peter was ever in Rome, never mind being the pope. He's just an elder. That's what he was. Wasn't bishop. Wasn't cardinal. Wasn't doctor. Nor was he even the reverend. Wasn't even the reverend. He was just Peter. God says godly and reverence is my name. It's not my name. Don't you be calling it to me. Godly and reverence is my name. My name. Do me all right, just barely do me. Do me well. No, 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 he he was just an elder among the people, among the flock of sheep. He was just the elder. He wasn't lording over them or ordering them. He was just amongst them. And you'll note the word amongst again. They were among him. Feed the flock of God which is among you. He's amongst them and they're among him and he's feeding them out of his hand. Now watch verse 2. Feed the flock of God. It's God's flock. It doesn't belong to the Baptists or the lifeboat or the Presbyterians. It's God's flock. And he purchased them with his own blood. Feed the flock of God. And that's what we're supposed to do. Not flog them. Not fleece them. Not fool them. Not forsake them as some do. He's among the flock and the flock is among them. And he is told here, feed the flock. Now we're coming to the verse at the minute that we're asked. Because if sheep are going to thrive, they'll need to be fed. There's 11 sheep up there in the field. A man put them in a week or two ago there. I tell you, they're feeding. I don't know where they come from. They mustn't have got very much where they were. But they're feeding. Boy, I watch them often lying down and feeding, walking around. i never seen as content a sheep. Sheep has to be fed. They need, they, need, they need food, they need water, they need, they, 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 they need care, they need to be dosed, they need to be dipped. Or they'll stray. And they'll wander. And they'll search for feeding in other places. Now here's the verse in verse 3. Neither as being lords over God's heritage or God's possession but being examples to the flock and it says in verse 2 not by constraint my friend you're not an elder because you have to be 
And these men that are elders here know that. They took a long time to pray about before they came in here as elders. They're not here because I said for them to be here. I asked them or others asked them. They're here because God is them here. And it's not hard labor for them. They enjoy it. They enjoy it. But we're not to lord over the flock. We're to submit. And we're to be humble in the presence of men and women. May God help me. It's not one of my graces. And I know that. And I suffer from it. And I thank you for your patience. But then he goes on to say in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear. This is the chief shepherd, not Peter. He's not the Pope. He says, when the chief shepherd shall appear. He's going on now to the appearing, to the coming again, to the accountability. When he comes, the chief shepherd comes, we'll have to give an account. For he's coming again. And he could come at any moment and he needs to find us submissive and subjective in every area of life. For he could come tonight, you know. The chief shepherd is coming. And he's coming very soon. Now watch verse 5 as we come to a close. Likewise ye younger, and you young people, I'm not having time to deal with this this morning, but here's another, you young people now, you need to submit. You need to be subjective. To the rule of the elders in this church. And if you're not, well, you're rebellious. We have certain rules and certain restrictions cloned from the scriptures itself in our constitution, and we believe them. And if you read them and you don't agree with it, you should go somewhere else if you don't agree with it. We've said that all the years here. You just have to submit to the Lord and to the oversight of the fellowship. Now watch verse 5. Likewise ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder. Now, yes, all of you be subject one to another. He's bringing the whole crowd in together here now. All. He's talking about the sisters. He's talking about the servants. He's talking about the slaves. He's talking about the shepherds. And I'll show you why. He said, all of you be subject one to another. Now what's the word humility? You'll get it three times. Be clothed with humility for God resisted the proud. Give us grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Now watch this phrase here. Be clothed with humility in the middle of verse 5. Be clothed with humility for he's coming. Sister in the home, be clothed with humility. Servant in the workplace, be clothed with humility. Saints in the state, be clothed with humility. Shepherds in the flock, be clothed with humility. Three times he uses the word humility. Because the time is short. The chief shepherd is coming. 
Now this phrase clothed with humility, wrapped in sackcloth and ashes. Now you hold now as a clothes. It means to be wrapped. This is what the slaves wrapped themselves in. They wrapped themselves in sackcloth, in black gowns. They, they wrapped themselves. The word is girdle. They girded this old black gown round them. That's the context he's speaking and he says, you all be clothed, have the sackcloth and ashes round you, be girded with humility. It's one of the weapons, one of the items of the armor of God. Girded with truth. Oh, but not only that, it's the same word used in the Lord Jesus. I can hardly say this this morning. I could hardly pen it. God knows. It's the same word used in the upper room. When he got the basin. And the water. And he girded the towel around him. And he washed Judas's feet. You can't get any lower than that. And some scholars say that when he was washing his feet, he had the 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. Oh, oh, lovely Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You opened that his mouth. You've been opening your mouth last week and you've been criticizing me in this church and others. God help you. We need to order a wardrobe. We need to order a lorry load of sackcloth and ashes. He girded himself with a towel. Washed the disciples' feet. Would you wash Mrs. O'Neill's feet? Would you wash my feet? Then verse 6 he says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Yes, you're going down first and the coming up's after. Our light affliction is but for a moment, but worketh in us an exceeding eternal weight of glory. Now watch this phrase here. Humble yourselves, therefore, under, what's this phrase? The mighty hand of God. Boy, what a statement. It was the mighty hand that rolled the Red Sea back. 
It was the mighty hand of the one who's down with a towel and a basin and washing Judas' feet that put the stars into space. It was the mighty hand of God that struck the rock and fed a million and a half people for 40 years with water. It was the mighty, mighty hand of God that closed the, that closed the lion's mouth in the den and let Daniel sleep. And then he comes on in verse 7 and he says this, Casting all your care onto him, for he careth for you. Here now this morning is a close. Casting all your anxieties, all your fear, all your family's fears, all your health's fears, all your burdens. Casting means keep casting, keep casting. Be sober, it says. Be faithful, be vigilant, watch Why? Well, verse 8 tells us we're back where we started. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, that's why he has them all together. That's why he has the flock all in tight. That's why he has the flock all down at his feet. And when he says casting all, he means casting your whole self at his feet. Why? Because the devils are out. And when the dog gets into the flock of sheep and gets worn out, he'll nail it. Boy, if ever we needed to keep in unity in this church, we need to keep in unity. If ever we needed to keep together and keep low, we need to keep low because he's on the verge of doing something. We need to keep low. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, watch, He's walking. And if he's walking, he's coming. He'll come, he'll come, he'll come this week. If he's walking, he's coming. If he's seeking, he's targeting. He may have you targeted this week. And if he's roaring and he's walking and he's seeking and he's roaring, and I haven't time to deal with that, I'm finished. If he's roaring, he's scaring The roar of a lion is scary. And it's louder at night. It's louder at night. Seems to be a greater noise at night. You ever hear him roaring at night? And all else is asleep? Children are snuggled up. You pull the clothes around you. And then he roars. Roars. You're not saved at all. Ever tell you that? You're no good. You can't pray. You're no witness. Boy, he knows how to roar. Your mind's going. 
Your job is going. Your marriage is going. You have cancer. What about the children? Am I exaggerating this morning? Roaring. I hear the accuser roar. Man, I quote this every day nearly. I hear the accuser roar of things that I have done. And I know them all. And 10,000 more. But Jehovah findeth none. They're all under the blood. Turn your head around and go to sleep. Do you know why? Because you're under the mighty hand of God. You're not under the mighty hand of God. You're in the mighty hand of God. What do you do? What do we do in this situation? Well, well, he tells us here, whom resist steadfast in the faith? That's another part of the armor. If you study these scriptures, you'll get all the armor in it. Steadfast in the faith. Get down behind the shield of faith from the fiery darts of the wicked one. He says, I am thy shield. He'll cover you. He'll bless you. He'll keep you. He'll strengthen you and he'll stable you. And it says all that in these verses. He'll strengthen you. He'll settle you. He'll stable you. (laughs) Praise his name. Hallelujah. Believe him. Believe him. My friend, the secret is humility, unity, stability. And in a little while it says, it'll be all over. A little while. It'll be all over. Hold tight. Hold on. Hold on. Sisters, hold on in the marriage. Saints, hold on with this government that we have around us. It's going to get worse. Well, anything I'm hearing is not good. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on, shepherds. Hold on. Servants in the workplace, hold on. Hold on. Take your example from him. The lovely Saviour. And let us this morning rise up and praise and thanks that are covered with the mighty hand of the mighty God and will be all week. Let us pray. Ah, oh, you've been very patient. Martin Lloyd Jones one time apologized for being too long and then he said, God forgive me for apologizing, for preaching the word of God. Lord, Lord, who are we this morning? Full of pride, haughtiness, jealousies, envies, backbiting, bigots. Oh God, Cleanse us afresh this morning. Let your word have us work this morning. Overshadow us this morning and this day with thy mighty hand, for we are engraven upon the palm of your hand. Oh God, we thank you for these mighty scriptures and the lessons that Peter learned.
Amen.